0: Well, this is uh, this is going to be, well, it's pre-recorded for those who are tuning in. at 7 p.m. We'll pretend, even though it's sunny outside. Uh, but Charlie uh, agreed to stay. Uh, his plane is wheels up at 4. Uh-huh. We're going to have to hold it. Um, so we're going to do this for the folks tonight. And all of you who stayed, we're so happy you're here. Now, uh, Charlie, we're going to take questions. And uh, this is going to be our live stream tonight. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, first question. Uh, Come on up. What do you got? What's your, what's your question?
1: Uh, well, thank you very much for all your uh, time and sacrifice. I know it's a lot. Um, and with education being such a huge question or a concern, I understand the mindset of the homeschooling movement, but the challenge is that you take the sports element out of it and the interaction and with having three kids, question. The challenge. We got to get to yep. the question. Yes. This is, this. yes, the challenge to still bring those aspects to yeah. children when they're so important in their lives. But, Me, but homeschooling kids based on a Supreme Court decision are allowed equal rights to local sports within the. Oh yeah, it's a Supreme school. Court decision. You're not allowed to forsake local sport involvement. So that's a that is a misnomer about homeschooling. Yeah, I was unaware. So of Tim that. Tebow, for example, sued and won. Where he had full involvement in heists. Whoever told you that is is yeah. not telling you the truth. All right, wonderful. Thank, Thank
0: you. you. That's a great question. We got to get somebody on deck so they're ready. All right. Okay. Yes. I have two. Not you get questions. one. No, go ahead. I'll okay. give you two. Hurry first, up. First, first question. You said at least in the second service that you thought we should break up the tech oligarchy. Yes. Um, my question is how should we do that legally obviously because there are private industries and companies yeah. the second question is a lot of us have come from churches that I mean this is not our home church originally those churches are still saying well the whole world is in lockdown so that is why we, we, we are still in lockdown and so we want to be compassionate to those people who are still afraid that, that's by and large our different arguments. Our arguments my question is what would you say to that that we are trying to be compassionate still Yeah, got it good question thanks so what's your I'll- name?
1: I'll start with the second one. I think liberty is incredibly compassionate because you're trusting people to make decisions. The beautiful thing about this church is no one forced you to be here today. And so this is not by government edict. I actually trust people enough to be able to congregate and worship God and worship Jesus. And if they know their own risk tolerance. So there's nothing forceful about opening up the doors of the church. There's, it's incredibly, I think it's actually uncompassionate to close the church. That's my entire kind of, Prism that I look at these things through. So that's number one. Uh, number two, you're right there. As far as the tech companies, there's an 1890 piece of legislation called the Sherman Antitrust Act that allows us to break up monopolies wherever they exist. I want you to imagine if ExxonMobil controlled ninety-two percent of all oil production or oil distribution in this country. I would want you to imagine if American Airlines controlled ninety-two percent of all you know, air traffic where it came to domestic air travel. I want you to imagine if Fox News controlled 92% of all news media in this country. we Well, the, 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 what I'm saying is, do you think that the left would allow Fox News to... Con- of course not. So why are we allowing Google to control 92% of all search results? This kind of standard of monopoly would not stand up in the face of any other company at all whatsoever. And so we have, we have the piece of legislation legally called the Sherman Antitrust Act passed by Congress. All the executive branch has to do is execute it. So the president has to instruct the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice to do monopolization probes into Google, which Google will fail miserably. Uh, they should be test case number one. T- Google is not just the search engine company; they're a video company, YouTube. They're also a fiber optic company. They're a medical device company. They're a driverless car company. They have total and complete, ver- and they're they're also an education company. They're in a- almost every single classroom across the country, harvesting all of your data. And that's the most important thing. They are a human being control company. And that's very dangerous and they should be broken up.
0: And I want to, yeah, you can clap on that one. I wanted to add to the question that you asked in regards to the compassion for those who are fearful and that the churches that are doing live stream are trying to comfort those who are fearful. We've done 141 nightly live streams at 7 p.m. with no less than seven doctors, two psychologists. And we, we have not been feeding their fears. We have been giving them truth which dispels fear. And I would encourage all those churches that feel so they're compassionate, don't buy into the lie and the narrative. Whatever things are true, and even if it doesn't fit the narrative of, of the governor, Stay with the facts and feed your congregation. These folks are here because they've tuned in and they are equipped and they're not afraid because they know the data. And I would encourage those pastors to do the same or just tune into ours and then go to church, whatever you want. We don't copyright it. It's free. So great question. Thanks, friend. Bless you. Yeah. What's your name? Cameron. Cameron. What's your question?
2: Um, Into the mic there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. Um, I've come across a lot of people who are kind of, like, afraid to kind of, like, have their church life and, like, their political views kind of intercede, and I've just kind of felt like with the, with, like, what's going on right now, it's kind of unavoidable to, like, have your political views be different than your Christian views, so I'm like, what's the best way to, like, address people who are, like, frightened on how to like, are afraid of, like, being like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I am also believe this about my politics. You mean, like,
0: people afraid to wear a Trump shirt? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Basically.
0: <laughs>
2: All right, man. Thanks, Kevin. Uh,
0: you know, there, there's two types of fear. There's a reverential fear of God, and then there's a fear of man. And fear of man is a snare. And if you can, you know, the, the idea of, you know, Aristotle said the highest form of community is politics because it combines morality and sociability. We, we should be prepared in season and out of season to give a reason on how people are to live together. And, and our faith has answers to every issue we deal with in life, immigration, economics, business. It's all there. And so I would say equip yourself. You'd be strong in that capacity. Listen to his podcast. Listen to our live streams. I would go on to Hillsdale College, take their constitutional classes, go through the foundation of the fathers. That I mean, the Declaration of Independence class at Hillsdale It's all free online. You 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 get smart in that. Yes. No one will contend with you. Amen. You'll you'll, you'll nail it. So, um, I, I believe that that the circumstances we're under right now, we have we have as Christians not wanted the the, the conflict, but there. We've been faced with it. We didn't go looking for it. They came to us. And now we have to stand and give a reason for our faith and, and, and start to contend in the public square. Great question. Thanks, man. You want to add to it? Great. Oh, yeah. you didn't even get the answer from Charlie. And he said, great. No, come on, add something.
1: He came well, to hear you. Oh, no, I thought it was very complete. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, a lot, I get this a lot where people are trying to differentiate their views. And one should, one should inform the other. The faith and the spiritual should inform the political. But, I mean, I think the bigger issue right now is that people that attend church with regularity are not even registered to vote. They don't vote, and sometimes they're uncertain, and they say, well, both political parties are awful. I say, wait, hold on a second. I actually agree that generally over the last 30, 40 years, I've been the number one critic of establishment Republican politics uh, imaginable. I think that the Republican Party generally has been completely awful for the American middle class and for a lot of the things that I think the president is going about fixing. But if you think that – I think that there's something – very questionably morally about living in a free society in the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. And we are taught to be thankful and grateful for things that are given to us and then not contending for the preservation of that gift. And then if you do not inform your voting choices or your own civic engagement to, to preserve that which is good in the world, I don't think you're fully... Embracing the gift that God gave us, which is to live in the United States of America, and that means to vote for the party that actually wants to keep this country intact. That doesn't want to tear it apart and have insurrection and arson and terrorism in the streets of our country.
0: Good, well, good answer. I'm going to give you an A. Okay. All right. What's your name? My name's Kyle. Hello, Pastor. Hello, Charlie. Uh, I have a personal question
1: and then some ad- an advice question. Uh, First, what is it like to have so many strangers? This is the first time you've heard me, first time you've seen me. I feel like I know you. I love you. I've I've heard you eulogize your uh, mentor on the podcast. I know you're afraid of heights, you know, at a certain level. You know, what is it like to just have people you've never seen before, adore you. And then secondly, my advice is concerning COVID, I have no concern about it whatsoever, but my wife is very concerned about it. She has a brother who is termed a long hauler. He almost died. He's still suffering months later with the consequences. How do, if you were in a similar situation, how would you kind of bring her back to rationality than the emotional
0: impact in not act so concerned regarding the virus? He didn't ask me to answer it, but I'm going to answer okay. the first question because I know you. I'll take the fifth. And then you take the second question. <laughs> I, I have to tell you something. I, I've been with him in every circumstance. And he is, by nature, an introvert. And he gets swarmed by people. We were in Orlando and we went from the parking lot to the church and it took us almost two hours just to get to our seat. People swarmed him. And every person he was gracious with and it's so not in his nature, and it's draining, but it's the Lord. He pours himself, himself out. He realizes that he's just a, a mouthpiece, and he He greets folks, and he understands. He's very kind. Now, that being said, after this is over, he'll go in there and collapse.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no. no. It's
0: okay. But, but it's it's a genuine heart for Amer- Americans. He, he He loves this, and He he stands by it. So that's how he does it. He's an amazing thank guy. Yeah. Very
1: kind. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you, Rob. Yeah. And to the second part of your question, look, I, I encounter this quite a lot. I try to be just anti-hysteria in everything that I do. And I, I don't think that it's helpful or useful to try to persuade anyone that believes this is, you know, the worst thing imaginable through using an equally emotive argument. Instead, I think that really kind of lean on, on the questioning of what would make, statistically, do they engage in anything that might actually have equal or greater statistical harm for that individual? And what is not talked about, and I'm not saying this virus is the same thing as that, but every year we lose about a million and a half to 1.7 million people just in our country alone. I mean, death, unfortunately, is something that is part of the human condition, right? And so the question then should be asked, um, and I don't know the specific circumstance you're you're in, but generally, which is always should be, what's the cost? That's how I know I'm dealing with someone who's an adult, is when they always ask, what's the cost before we make a decision, right? And there are some people that absolutely, based on pre-existing conditions or underlying comorbidities, the cost should be, they should really shelter in place. And that answer, honestly, should have been the same when it was the flu, too, and that's something I think maybe we've learned is that if you have these comorbidities, we would lose 55 to 60,000 people a year. So just as long as I've been alive, just so you understand, that is 60,000 people a year on gen- generally times 26. So since I've been alive, if you just do the basic math, that's a lot of people, right, that have died of just the flu since I've been alive. We didn't shut down the country for it. Now, this is a different path. This is a different path. we're learning different ways to treat it. And I also think my other piece of advice would be uh, be open-minded about some of the efficacy of the treatments out there. Um, the, there, is a do- there is a very concerted campaign by, by the pharmaceutical companies to try to convince you that this is somehow untreatable and the only way to diagnose it, the only way to actually treat it is the shelter in place. Um, I, I encourage you to watch my live stream where I had nine doctors on my YouTube uh, that talked very openly with lots of data and I'm only citing them as the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, as the importance of taking zinc every single day and vitamin C. They're gonna, adding, they're,
0: there goes our live stream, they're gonna take it down now, thanks a lot.
1: I'm, I'm citing other people though. I know, I know, I am not even, I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm not sorry, so. I, I would also add that Franklin Templeton study, which is a financial, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have a dog in this fight, Republican or Democrat, they just looked at how this, this virus has affected the financial outcome of our nation. And, and what's interesting is that when they did this survey, it's depending on your political party whether or not you have a rational view, a healthy view of the clear statistics of the virus itself. And, and we have been instilled with an unhealthy imbalance of fear, thinking that the death rates are higher in the age categories. The one thing we do know about this virus, the one thing we do know... Is it targets 65 and older with comorbidity, and and th- that alone is where you should concern yourself. Beyond that, open up the schools, open up the businesses, get back to yeah. work, and that, that's what I would encourage. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Uh, Close. Hey Charlie, you can. Uh, thank you for all your great work. It's thank just you. amazing. I am concerned about uh, non-citizen voting, and I don't mean the mail-in. I mean people walking in that aren't citizens, and voting. And uh, I don't want illegals and non-citizens to dictate my future in this country and the future of the whole country. Tucker and Judge Jeanine both mentioned it about a month or so ago that that's the greatest threat beyond communists, beyond uh, China and Russia hacking. The we got greatest it. threat Yes. Yeah. Yeah. people voting that aren't citizens. And I don't hear anything about it. Day after day, I listen we, to Fox We gotta, you gotta I, answer the, uh, ask the question. No, I mean, it's, learn, it's yeah, a very yeah.
1: real thing in California, non-citizens are voting in local elections up near Sacramento, and that's already been verified and been proven. But in most states, including California, it doesn't require an ID to go vote. Uh, sometimes you can register same day for an affidavit ballot with just a home utility bill, and there is basically no enforcement at all whatsoever from the California Department of Elections to make sure that non-citizens are voting. In fact, it is, a, it is now vocally expressed by leading members of the Democrat Party of why aren't non-citizens allowed to vote? So it's a very real thing. Um, and kind of, I said this in a second service, and I think that um, it is kind of worthy of talking about. We are living in a gaslighting America right now. And so gaslighting is this. It is a psychological term. It's a great play. In the 19, 1938, it was written. I encourage you guys to watch it. And when you watch it, you'll see exactly what we're living through. Uh, and it's a metaphor. So gaslighting, it was an abusive husband with a wife where he, every night, uh, they used to, it was set in 1880s London. Uh, in order to get their lighting in their flat in London, they had a gaslight that Uh, produce the light in the evening. So every night he would turn it down by like one percentage and it would get darker and darker and darker. And the wife would challenge the husband, why is it getting darker here? And he'd say, it's not, you're losing your mind. And this got to be known as gaslighting. And this was the original thought of the term. It's psychologically proven, it's in all the clinical data in abusive relationships. We're in an abusive relationship with the activist media in this country, because you think yourself like, wait, why would would non-citizens be voting? They're like, shut up and you know, you're crazy. And when in reality, they're the ones that are actually turning down the dial and they're gaslighting very... And it's, it's a perfect analogy, actually, when you look at it. And I encourage you to look at the player. It's online on YouTube. It's about 40 minutes long. And you'll see it. You're like, that is us. We, we are the wife in this relationship where they are turning down and they're like, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. And it actually doesn't actually change until she calls him out and the, the play ends with him actually getting arrested. So, um, which hopefully that ends up happening to certain people. But, uh, <laughs> but... Um, That that is the origination of the term, but we we have to recognize that they're doing this incrementally and that anytime you call them out, they they challenge you and they just question your mental stability, and by the way, this is also part of the Overton window. Uh, In politics, this is thrown around a lot. There's a term called the Overton window, which was actually theorized by a political thinker by the name of John Overton, uh, where he created the spectrum of how ideas go from completely unacceptable to popular to uh, entertained to then public policy. And so this is kind of the spectrum that he had political ideas on. And basically, the Overton window can shift in a moment's notice. We've never seen the Overton window change this quickly, this, where it went from completely unthinkable to public policy, like defunding the police, right, Overnight. unthinkable a year ago, yeah. where it's now completely public policy. Where Overton wasn't completely right in what we are learning is that the Overton window can move backwards, too, where things can go from public policy to unpopular and unpopular to public policy. And I encourage you guys to look it up tonight when you go home the Overton window, because it's a visual representation of exactly what we're going through right now, and they're moving it incredibly quick, right? And so it's basically a prism of which the general population operates through, and that's exactly what's happening right now, where the Overton window, they're trying to change the Overton window, where how dare you say a non-citizen shouldn't vote in our country? And then it's kind of like gaslighting. You're like, am I losing my mind or is the country quickly changing, right? That's exactly the psychological phenomenon that's happening right now. I'll say one more thing on this, which is George Orwell wrote about this um, in his famous book, 1984, and he called this doublespeak. And so gaslighting is actually an extension of something that Orwell wrote about, which it's worse than lying. And let me tell you how this works. So if Rob was eating a bunch of cookies and I went up to Rob and I said, Rob, how many cookies did you eat? And he said, I only ate only three, but he really ate 10. That would be a lie, right? So here's the way gaslighting or Orwellian thinking works. And it's very important you guys understand the difference between lying and this. Where I walk up to Rob and I say, Rob, how many cookies did you eat? And he's got crumbs all over his face. And he says, I didn't eat any cookies. You did. I said, no, I didn't eat any cookies. You're literally eating them right now. No, I didn't. And you're also a racist and your country is awful. Like, what? No, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? that's It's the opposite of the truth right it's a projection of the action, right Gaslighters project we know this Freud got a lot wrong, right, but he also got a lot right. We actually take for granted what Freud got correct, and one of the things that Freud got right and For the young people in the room, Sigmund Freud, again, he got a lot wrong, got a lot right, was the idea of projection. We know this in psychological data, where the person who's actually the one that's most focused on the injustice is the one themselves doing the injustice, right? Where they're actually the ones that are like, oh, we care about eradicating racism, or they're the ones actually doing all the incredibly racist things, right? And so this is all part of the same sort of psychological analysis of any person with any sort of schooling in the most basic forms, these are sociopathic tendencies, right? So we basically handed our entire government over to a, basically sociopaths that are bitter, arrogant, and resentful. No, no no, no one's doing Well, I mean, we're talking about it, but look, okay. here's. can I say one more thing yeah, on yeah. this? So, he, he said, why is no one doing anything about this? This is a constant tactic of the left. And I'm a student of the left. I don't say that lightly or jokingly. I study them. I fight them. I understand them. I read their literature. I read their philosophers. I know what they're going to do before they do it. I know how to defeat them. And I don't say that braggadociously because they have been defeated before. And this is the same sort of battle of light versus darkness. It's all very similar. It's harmonic in a lot of different ways. One of the tactics of the left is start as many different fights as possible that they distract the ambassadors of light. So illegal voting, big tech fraud, collapse the economy, lockdowns, virus, media, schooling, transgender issues where we become so unfocused that they know they're going to win like two out of ten of those fights and they disorganize the unity of the the truth seekers, does that make sense? If you feel like there's so many fights, where do I focus on? And that's where I actually look at the hierarchy of the fights where I'm like, well, the one that can actually solve five out of ten of these is an open and active church because that just happens naturally, right? So if I was looking at the hierarchy, of it, if you solve the church, all of a sudden people are going to have moral order, they're awakened, and all of a sudden a lot of these things just start to disappear, right? And so you have, and this is something the left is so good at. They're always playing offense. Rule number eight, I believe, of Solinsky's rules for radicals is keep the pressure on and also pick more fights than you ever think you're going to win. This is part of their
0: playbook. I, I would also add that the church does not have a healthy understanding of immigration because the left will come and say don't we don't we love the foreigner and they take they take the three they don't look at the three words in the hebrew when it comes to those passages we've done an entire study you can go on to our live stream an entire study on a biblical view of immigration it's always about assimilation in the scriptures. But they're gonna use your scriptures against you because you're not educated on your scriptures. So understand these things. Yeah. And then in the same regard, I would add the question for anyone who's concerned about um, illegals voting. Here's your question. How many of you have helped register voters? It's easy, it's easy to define the problem. But go do some work, yeah. right? Hello, we got quiet in here. All right, you're up. Hey, Charlie, could you speak to um, how to meaningfully engage people through social media? I mean, you are a professional. Uh, Most of us have either abandoned the platform or or are trying to uh, have some sort of meaningful engagement in a sea of hatred. So I was wondering if you so to I, um, it's a
1: great question. Meaningfully engage in social media. So I, I have a couple of rules. By the, way,
0: by the way, he's probably one of the finest musicians in the Conejo Valley. Well. Does a youth orchestra. Amazing guy. Thank you for the question.
1: Yeah. So one of the ways to meaningfully engage on social media, I have a couple rules with this, which is it's a bottomless pit of nothingness if you don't have proper restraints on yourself and the dialogue. Now, here's my general rule for everybody, which is um, I think that if you come across a piece of untruth that is on your feed, instantaneously engage with on the comment section of something that is true, and then completely disengage. Say nothing else besides that. So get your phrase right, and then just mic drop it. And dis, it, First of all, it drives the, dis, the, the, the people on the other side completely nuts, because they're waiting for you to respond. It'll ruin their week. Um, not that should be your goal, but it's just, it's just true. Um, and then, but then, then you did your job to engage with it. Do not endlessly go back and forth in the comment section of Facebook or Instagram. Do not do that. But that's not to say don't leave that initial piece. That one piece of truth will almost be like the banner of the entire post. It will monopolize it. It will be the centerpiece, right? And then you might be really tempted to re-engage. Don't, right? And so um, also just do not engage in ad hominem attacks and try to reduce your social media usage dramatically. Um, I tell people this and they don't believe it. I have... Between Twitter, and they, don't, they believe this part, they don't believe the second part. Between Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, if you count Turning Point and myself, it's about six and a half, seven million followers. Um, and if you count just the reach, it's hundreds of millions of people a month. I don't have those apps on my phone. I don't. People don't believe it when I say that. And it's been the greatest thing for me possible um, because I can think more clearly, I can consume my information uninterruptedly, and it's all negative. Once you kind of reach a threshold, there's nothing good for me out there. It's nothing but trolls and bad things and all those sorts of things. Now, I understand that you got, you know, you might be in a different position, but just try to reduce your time. And for young people in particular, for parents out there, um, get your kids off of social media. I mean, I'm glad I grew up in an America without social media. I think it destroys children. I really do. There, there is no reason, and, and a lot of your kids will say, we need these, they, they, they don't. I mean, when they're 18, they can make their own decisions. I would forcibly take them off, their, off the TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, all of it. They'll be happier kids because of it.
0: Uh, now, and this isn't alluding to you, please understand. In, the, in regards to trolls, this is open. Mike, we don't know who's going to come up, what they're going to ask. And, and places he's gone, they've come to kind of mess with him. So welcome to church. And you're not the troll, but come on up. Welcome. <laughs>
2: I'm a little too short to be a troll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> um,
0: Tall and handsome. Are you single? Because the girls are wondering.
2: I am. Uh, <laughs> that
0: looks like a wedding ring, though. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Charlie, what are your thoughts on supporting teachers that are fighting the cause Love in the classroom?
2: It.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely... I mean, supporting teacher, we should. The problem is that... The way we fund education and the way that we kind of have our teachers in a pseudo-cartel, the public sector teacher unions, it, the incentive structure is completely backwards. So good teachers are not paid more, and bad teachers are not fired or terminated. Um, and so, look, there's so many good teachers out there. We need to support them. And I, I believe that teachers are modern-day heroes. And I think yeah. parents should be teachers, first and foremost. And any school you send your kid to should only be self-reinforcing be everything you're already teaching at home. It shouldn't be contradictory or it shouldn't be opposite, right? And so um, I actually think that if I, were to, if I were to make a general statement, which is very dangerous, I think private schools are actually worse when it comes to indoctrination than public schools, believe it or not. Um, and that's a general statement. It's not completely true. I, under, I mean, it's a generalized national statement, but it is the private schools that actually indoctrinate the kids far more effectively than the public schools and actually they're actually the ones and I, I don't know if that's the case here in the local area so I'm just saying from my travels all across the country taking the data set all together it is it is sometimes the private schools actually generally the private schools that are worse than the public
0: one schools. of one of our largest private schools in the area teaches social justice Yes, yeah. so uh, uh, christian social justice mm-hmm. it's strange
1: so there you go definitely. Yes, sir. Self-contradictory.
0: Hi, Charlie. Thanks for coming. Yeah. So in the massive escalation of all the craziness that we've seen in politics and society over the last, well, since you jumped in the fray, even in the last six years, what has it done for your faith personally?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, look, if you're in this very dark part of the world of politics, it challenges your faith quite a lot. And it challenges a lot, I mean, by definition, I mean, it, it definitely has been a positive to get to know rob and other pastors i mean i'm going to be honest i say this a lot it was hard for a couple years when i received nothing but condemnation and repudiation from pastors like nothing from it it made me just kind of question not my faith but like what am i doing i mean maybe i'm doing the wrong thing maybe i'm like opposing jesus you know because I, i mean there is an just so you guys know and i know some of you guys are aware of this and some of you are not there is an entire quadrant of Christianity that thinks I'm like the worst thing that has ever happened to the faith. And that's fine. They have a right to believe that. Um, but until I found Rob, I was kind of like, I was just kind of alone. I, I thought like, oh, maybe we're, you know, what's going on here? I don't know. And then, you know, Rob was like, oh, no, you actually should speak at my church. And I was like, I don't do that. <laughs> I, was sho- I was shocked when he said he's, he's never been invited to
0: speak at a church.
1: Yeah. No, I'm I said, like, I'm like, I don't do that. Like, I was like, I, I'm a, he's like, Rob was gracious enough to open the platform for me. Um, so that, that, that kind of should give you an idea of American Christianity. Um, but my faith has definitely strengthened um, since meeting people like Jack Hibbs and Pastor Rob and Ken Graves. And, um, and look, it's, it's all just a matter of perspective, right? So kind of what stresses me out now won't stress me out five years from now. And it definitely, you know, like the, little, the big things five years ago aren't like what the big things are today. But I mean, look, it definitely takes, there's no real sugarcoating it. People say, well, you know, I want your life. And I'm like, well, maybe you do. I'm very happy. I'm full of, you know, gratitude. But I mean, it's traveling 340 days a year, it's getting five hours of sleep a night doing two podcasts today, being in a new city all the time, and having every journalist of every major media outlet talking to every person you've ever communicated with since the age of nine years old trying to pathologically destroy your life, getting death threats against your family, the FBI having to be called because of Antifa coming against all of your loved ones, you know, not being able to go to college campus without a Nicaraguan small army that could overthrow a, you know, dictatorship. Seriously, it's like a standing army I have to go with. I'm not complaining, by the way. I'm just saying that, you know, that, that tests you. It really does. Um, and so that's why I'm actually comforted to come to a place like this where I'm not, you know, having Molotov cocktails thrown at me. Well, there
0: is a, there is a small Nicaraguan army protecting the no, fellowship know. now. So.
1: But hey. the answer it is my faith has, has really grown, and it's grown because of the trial. So I, I consider it a blessing.
0: This young man has been instrumental in blessing my life, bringing people to church. I want to get a picture with the two of you. Come come on over. Here we go. Thank you, man. You You bet. Question. Thank you. How do we desexualize society, especially schools and kids? Example, middle, high school, and college virginity status. Yeah, it's a very
1: big issue. Thank you for the question. I mean, so part of it is this. Part of it is just a deeper problem of indulgence culture that we live in. And it actually starts a lot younger than you might believe. It has very little to do with sexuality, uh, but it has a lot more to do with parents not putting restraints on their children. It's a lot more to do with parenting than anything else. Uh, and I don't mean this as any way as a condemnation of parents, but permission just to speak freely on this. Uh, parents today are awful, generally. They are unbelievably bad. Um, my, my parents were incredible disciplinarians, and it was the greatest gift they ever gave me. Um, and parents right now want to be their kids' friends, and your kids will be miserable if that's, if that's what you end up doing. I mean, the greatest thing my parents did was being strict, disciplined, and enforcing rules. And uh, seriously, it is the greatest gift you can give a child. Because, I mean, and my parents, my parents were, and I pray I'm communicating this lovingly, not trying to be, you know, condemnation, but uh, no video games until I turned 15, and even then it was only 30, 30 minutes a day. Uh, no phone until I turned uh, 16 or 17, and the phone I got was like a literal embarrassment. It was like one of those, you know, if you went to the villages in Florida, it's like the phone's this big, Right. <laughs> You guys ever see Wall Street with Gordon Gecko, where like he has the the brick phone on it's the beach? It's a Korean
0: War radio, right? It's like come exactly, in over,
1: like, like you, you zap in. Um, so I think it starts with that, but then also, um, I, look, one of the things that the left has never believed in is the innocence of children. It's a very interesting thing. Um, if you kind of look at the latest Netflix series called Cuties, um, where it is the hypersexualization of ten and eleven year olds. If you haven't seen this, I encourage you to check it out. Uh, we the, the left will never stop. I mean, and they, they, this is part of their secular human agenda. When they don't have the laws of nature and nature's God, the wise restraints that keep men free, as Rob says, which is on the halls of Harvard University, um, their meaning will be in the constant pushings of the hedonistic lines of a once moral society. Right?
0: All they do is deconstruct. I that's love all when they you do, say that.
1: All they do is all they do is take apart that which we built, and we being. Christians. That's all they do. We built the civilization. It's their task to take it apart, obliterate it, and put us into a state of chaos. And so look, a part of it is, another part is this, is also just the false expectation, which I encourage all of you just to think very carefully about. It's this false expectation from the doctors, from the way we give our kids physicals, to everything. It's not a question of when you will become sexually active. It's not it, it's a question of if, it's a question of when. I mean, when I was getting a physical when I was 14, you know, they were like, well, here's the right birth control and all this sort of stuff, and I was 14 years old, right? It's a question of almost conditioning young people that you might as well just get ready and prepared for this, right? Um, and that's a very, you, know, you kind of look at what's happening in our country here, and also it's the abdication of responsibility. Because abortion is so, um, it's become the number one form of birth control, you know in the country it's a million abortions a year it ties directly into the exact issue that you're talking about here so look there's no easy answers here but it all just comes down to parents there's always been broken culture the difference right now is the parents right now are active participants in teaching their kids hedonism so i'm going to add to this hey, you're the best at this actually uh, so okay. i should have let you talk
0: about it. no that. i'm a expert. that's a sex expert Sex is an expression of intimacy, both physical, emotional, and spiritual. And, and God gave it to mankind. And, 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 and the idea is, if you, if you go to the physical first, you've got to spend the rest of your life trying to phys- figure out the emotional and spiritual side of it. And, and if you enter into that and you've had no, no intimacy as far as dialogue and, and knowing the person as a friend, you're going to get through the trials of life and wonder, who is this I'm with? This is, this is an enormous gift from God. And if you invest in someone's life, instead of looking at them as, as, as physical pleasure, and the idea is you look at people like objects and you just want something from them. The idea of, of living on this earth is laying down your life. And as you serve one another and you get to know one another, then you start to have that understanding. And then God calls you to each other. And he gives you an expression of that. We, we've destroyed that. We start with the physical first, and then we don't know each other, and it's all self-indulgence. Everyone's just an object for us to go from one to the next, and it just ruins the intimacy of humanity and the opportunity to connect and build lasting relationships that survive trials. That's why we just have, you know, divorce everywhere. No one knows how to serve one another, and sex, sex is what can I get. Love is what can I give. And, and this, this destruction of that gift from God, it, it's, it drives mankind. I mean, the four most intense drives of a male adolescent is air, water, food, sex. And they would give up food and probably water and, if they could, air. <laughs> but the interesting thing is, and I'm almost finished, the interesting thing is you can't do without air, water, or food and live you can do without sex. So why would God take the fourth most intense drive we possess as men and say, you know, wait. And, and, you're, and the male sex drive peaks at 18. They say a male adolescent has a sexual thought every 15 to 18 seconds. You know, i got to go to history class. Oh, you know, whatever it is. It's... But why? Stay with me. Why would God? Why would God take? Why would God take this sex drive, and say to the man, "Wait." I remember I was in a public school. Young kid said, and, and I couldn't invoke God in the public school. He did. He goes, "Why would God make me that way?" Fourth most intense drive, and say, "Wait." He goes, Is he cruel or something? And I looked at the kid. I was thinking, "Yeah, that's what I think." Yeah. <laughs> But I told him a story at the beginning about a, a pastor who the very first time he'd ever kissed a woman romantically and the very first time his wife had ever kissed, kissed a man romantically was at the altar on their wedding day when they said, I do. The very first sexual experience was when they crossed the honeymoon threshold. Everyone was like, what's that? And they didn't worry about sexually transmitted diseases or any, you know, comparisons or anything. And, and he, he said, this kid says, why would God make me that way and say, wait? I was struggling, and you, you you commented about James. If any man lacks wisdom, all he need to do is ask of God. God will give freely to him. So I, I'm, I'm saying, God, I don't know how to answer this kid. Help me. He says, "Ask him about his dad." I go, "Tell me about your dad. Is he a good guy?" He goes, "No, he's a jerk." All the girls thought this young kid in the class was really handsome. They were all laughing, giggling, and he actually said, "Why wouldn't you test drive a car before you buy it?" And all the girls giggled. And, and, I, and I said, tell me about your dad. And he says, he wasn't a good guy. He divorced my mom. He was a jerk. I said, okay. And I'm like, why was I asking him that, Lord? <laughs> he said, tell him about Jeff. Jeff was that pastor I was talking about. I said, I, you know what? That guy I was telling about Jeff? Yeah. He works a 60-hour work week, still comes home, and the best part of his day is with his family. I was watching football with him. Raiders were playing. The score was tied. They were within the 10-yard line getting ready to score. His wife comes in with groceries. He turns off the TV and helps her in with the groceries. I'm like, dude, the football game's on. <laughs> His two-year-old comes through with a dirty diaper, like parting Moses parting the Red Sea. <laughs> and if that was my child coming to me, I'd go, hey, go find your mother. You know, it's like he picked that little boy up, went change changed the diapers. He would help with the dishes. And I, I looked at him. I said, wouldn't you have liked to have had... A dad like Jeff and wouldn't you like your mom to have had a husband like Jeff and he said yeah I said that guy took his fourth most intense drive put it on hold for the sake of learning how to serve you want to be great you deny yourself why it's an expression we've lost that and it's time we start enveloping that and embracing it again long answer next question
2: Hey. So, uh, the left screams that Christians shouldn't be involved in politics because of separation of church and state. Is that in the Declaration of Independence?
1: No. No, it's not. No, it uh, was written by Thomas Jefferson. Great question. Um, In 1803 to the Danbury Baptist Convention, Yep, Danbury
0: Baptist Convention. Massachusetts. Invisible wall of separation. Look, the
1: the idea of religion is expressly put in two different parts of the U.S. Constitution, uh, the Establishment Clause and the Free Expression Clause, and they're actually completely different. So the Establishment Clause is that Congress shall make no religion. The idea of this at the time was that there wouldn't be a national church, similar to the Anglican Church, like an Episcopalian Church, or a Catholic church, it was this idea of, we don't want a specific sect or denomination of Christianity to then rule over all the colonies. It was never a question of whether or not the country would derive its principles or its ideals from Christianity. Now, the founders actually rejected, and Rob will second this, this idea of dominionism. They actually wanted a pluralistic society for, I think, a couple different reasons. One of it being pragmatic. They wanted people to have the freedom whether or not to go to church or not. Um, they did not want to have it to be compulsory or part of the national citizenship. I actually think it's more effective that way. I actually think that Christianity operates best when it is not run through the state. I actually think Christianity is at its best when it's through private means outside of the state and it's Christianity that is influencing the state, not the state that is influencing Christianity. I can make lots of arguments for this, but I actually think that a lot of Europe over time, the more it embraced this kind of state-run church, Italy in particular, over the last 150, 200, 300 years, I actually think it creates almost a rebellious nature against both the church, not the state, and people then actually find more comfort in the stability of the state and not in the church. I think the founders actually understood that. I also think morally they had a problem with this idea of trying to blend the two together. I think they, they... But the idea of separation of church and state, I think, gets... Completely wrong, and Rob can talk about this better than even I, much better than I can. But I'll take it from a different perspective. That I think it's done by the atheists as a reason by saying there should be no references to God and no even like no no idea recognition of the liberty giver at all whatsoever. And that is completely incorrect. It's nonsense. Actually, every single founder recognized a higher power in one way or the other. Ben Franklin had a different interpretation of that from. George Washington, George Washington was an Anglican, Ben Franklin would probably be more of a deist, but they, all of them, recognized what was in our birth certificate, the Declaration of Independence, laws of nature, and Nature's God, which is, this government was a recognition of natural rights, which it, it, this is not a, this is not a small conclusion for a civilization to recognize, it was the first civilization founded from nothing of the recognition that the state was actually less important than the rights that we get from God. And so this idea of separation of church and state, is is it's not not found in our founding documents at all whatsoever. It's not found in any of the the literature that actually inspired our laws. And more importantly, I think that it's used as an excuse to try to make atheism the state-run religion of the United States of America, which is kind of the path that we're headed on right now.
0: Yeah, secular progressivism is a religion disguised as a political movement. And and uh, when they when they ruled with the separation clause, and then they removed prayer from schools, and they 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 basically voted in favor of uh, promoting um, godlessness. So so now religion has been put on the back burner, and that's not how for for over two hundred years it was always interpreted that you keep the state out of the church, not the church out of the state. Mm-hmm that's how we operate. And, and, and that is our convictions when we legislate. And then the church bought into it, where we no longer engage in the public square and the pulpits say that politics is dirty. Yeah. And I always say to those pastors, so is the church. What, 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 how's that an excuse? Yeah. I'm tired of voting for the lesser two evils. Unless Jesus Christ is running for office, you'll always be voting for the lesser two evils. Yeah. You must engage in the ecclesia, the public square. And so that's critical. So, Great. Yeah. Amen. Next question. Uh, we've got 11 minutes before it wheels up. We've got to get you. Hi, Charlie. I've Hi.
1: Been, uh I've been following your politics since 2016. Wow. And I think we've all been watching the evolution of American politics here. You talked about the
0: Overton window earlier. Yeah. Ten years ago, it was a perfectly normal thing to say that there's such a thing as a man and a woman and that you shouldn't put eight-year-olds on hormone blockers. Twenty years ago, it was a normal thing to say that those two people should be married. Thirty years ago, it was a normal thing to say that we shouldn't be destroying
1: a million unborn lives every single year. So it seems that every time we have a... Sh- and right now, we're in an Overton window shift, I truly think. Uh-huh. So it seems at every point in American history,
0: when there's a challenge, it starts to move leftward. How do conservatives simply dig, the- dig a line in the sand dig in their heels, and say, this much and no further? I think we're doing that right now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah?
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, also, this is, this is a very, very, very good question. It's a deeper question, too. And, and so
0: articulately put. I mean, yeah. Yeah, solid. Sorry.
1: One, one, of the, one of the last of the systemic philosophers who actually created a new system of thinking Hegel uh, actually tried to solve this question, what he called the Hegelian dialectic, and this actually, he could probably be the only thinker that was responsible for both the Soviet Union and also 1930s Germany, and the whole idea was that history is nothing more than a sequence of events that will favor that and the progression of what is best in humankind. Now, why is that dangerous? Because it's, it's completely at odds with conservatism, right? It's this admission that things must completely change, Right? And we don't, we, we, we reject that, right? I mean, we believe that marriage is an institution that predates all of us, that even predates our civilization.
0: I like estate better than institution. Okay. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. So, um, I was almost placed in an institution if the judge had ruled. And I really like the estate of marriage. Sorry. No, I, I forgot where I was, so <laughs> anyway. messing with you. I'm sorry, Charlie. No, it's okay. I, no, I was just I'm being just, funny. Yeah,
1: it's all good. Finish. You so, got it. You got um, it. anyway, so yeah, it's uh, it's constantly going in that direction, and conservatives uh, generally don't play offense because we're um, we are way more apathetic than the left, and uh, you know, opening this church should have been like one of the least controversial things we should be doing, and this is just this is this is very normal. It is normal that the people that want to destroy are going to be more motivated than the people that want to protect. It, that's been that's been the case of human history, and that's a sad case. But uh, those that want to destroy are typically much more vote-motivated than people that want to keep things the way they are. Yeah.
0: So. I mean, no, it's good. I, I have to, next question. He is so good at keeping his train of thought that I thought I could be funny and not distract him, but I've succeeded. I actually was able to. I'm sorry, though. No, that you're, good. you're sweet, good. Yeah. All right, you're up. Well, first of all, I
1: want to thank you both for being obedient to the Holy Spirit
0: and our Heavenly Father. Amen. And my question is, more to you, Pastor, how do us as Venturi
1: County residents address the Board of Supervisors to get our county back open and back in track with making money and continuing the way our liberties should be?
0: All right. Uh, 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 that's, that's a great question. I don't want to see your hands, but this is before you and the Lord. How many of you have written a letter to your supervisors, telling them to open the county? And how many of you have asked your neighbors and your friends? How many of you have made phone calls to your supervisors? How many of you know them by name? I'm not asking for hands right now. Just challenging you. This is a, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I didn't ask how many of you sent visceral emails to your friends about how dissatisfied you are. I asked how many of you have addressed the supervisors? How many of you have contacted them? How many of you have started to move in such a capacity that you're involving yourself in the elections of those who are running in opposition to the, to the positions that those who have hurt us have? How many of you are walking precincts for those candidates? How many of you donated to your campaign? My wife and I commit 10% in election year of our income to candidates who are running for office. You get good government with good people. And it's government by consent of the people. And your apathy is consent to what we have now. But if you want better government, you have to participate in the electoral process. Sacrifice. What is liberty worth to you? You've seen it taken. What part of your income will you give to elect somebody to office? What more will you do besides just do the ballot? It requires that we all engage and become activated Great question. I pray that answers it. God bless you.
2: Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Oh. We can hear you. Uh, my question is in regards to uh, Romans uh, 13. Uh, I- I'm in favor of uh, churches opening because I believe that it's essential, but there are uh, Christians and uh, pastors who uh, have, I guess, weaker consciences and um, they would use Romans 13 as a reason to not open up uh, their church. And they would uh, um, bring out the fact that in the early church, they uh, submitted to unjust rulers and the Bible calls us to submit to unjust rulers and to pray for unjust uh, rulers. And so my typical response to that is that we live in a different country and uh, uh, we are governed by the Constitution and our constitutional rights are being violated. So uh, we should submit to the Constitution and not some uh, tyrannical governor or local official that's trying to uh, prevent us from meeting. So do you think that's a good argument to bring up the Constitution, that that is actually our authority, and so therefore we're not in violation of Romans 13? Got it. Yes. (laughs) His
0: His point is well taken. Romans 13, in this nation... The authority in Romans 13 is found in the first three words of the preamble, we the people. It is our right and our duty that when they violate the Constitution they've sworn to defend, and the only purpose of government, according to our Declaration of Independence, is to protect these inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, among many. When they violate that, it is our right and our duty to push back and to hold them accountable. Incrementally, we've been asleep by apathy and ignorance while they've taken over our schools and our cities and our state governments and our supervisory boards and our health commissions and everything else. Because along the line somewhere, we decided we were not gonna participate. But from here on out, you look at your kids and your grandkids and you look at them and you say, you know what? You're not worth it. Now, 244 years we've been given this gift, but on our watch, we're just polishing brass on the Titanic and the Lord's coming back. We're going to get raptured. It's, it's prophesied. Do not use the scripture to justify your apathy. Amen. Regardless of your eschatology, I do know this. Jesus said, occupy until I come. And if you're going to look at your kids and say, you know what? The rapture is going to happen any moment now. It's all prophesied. You, you give them about as much hope as Greta Thunberg does. <laughs> and, and your eschatology does not, you don't know the day or the hour. Every generation has thought the Lord's return. Leave your kids and your grandkids something they can count on. Oh, the house is on fire. Our job is just to get the kids out by evangelism. Okay, get the kids out, put the fire out, and rebuild the house. That's Romans 13. We are called in this nation to push back. That is our duty and our obligation. Thank you. Next question. Oh, we're allowing ushers to ask questions. Okay, I don't know. Yes. Okay. No, no, I'm just messing with you, so go for, go for it. What so do you got? I'm
3: Sylvie, and thank you for coming here, and God bless you. You're really a blessing. Uh, I'm a dual citizen, so I'm Canadian and American, and I moved here because it was too socialist for where I come from. And something happened to me recently that I want you to tell me what you think about it. But I think not only the Democrat, but I, but I think uh, the late 90s, I, I could see that fascism was starting, really, the late 90s. after got the first a question, we got to ask the question because we've got about okay. five
0: minutes. And we got three people Sorry. left.
3: I almost got arrested with three police cars because I I stood for my rights two weeks ago. Now I'm uh, with uh, government agencies. I receive uh, a bill of $20,000 from the California that I already paid. And uh, I'm waiting for a charge against me by the government. So don't you feel that there's a danger now from our bureaucrat that they abuse power? That's my question.
0: Hang on. Lord, thank you for Sylvie. And we ask, Lord, your provision, your blessing upon her. And Lord, we just thank you that she's a part of our fellowship. And we're going we're gonna to bless her. We'll take care of her. But, Lord, we are tired of a government's overreach that has just done this. And here we have before us a widow. And the, and the government is just dumping on her. So, Lord, please, just let it stop. Let people push back. And bless Sylvie, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
1: That, 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 is a, that is a normal example of what happens when we let it happen. So you have 200,000 people that go in the streets and march in defiance to county ordinances. They loot, they commit arson, but they go after the law-abiding. That's exactly what's happening. They, it's they went keep after ha- the
0: gym. They, yep. They've gone after Sylvie. It's, it's gonna, awful.
1: It's because we're letting it happen.
0: Yeah.
2: So, Charlie, I have a question for you for a Gen Z. Are you optimistic for the future of my generation leading this country and us leading it in the right direction? Yeah. Heck, yeah. And then the other question is, if we do go back to school, what is your opinion on a mandatory vaccination for COVID-19? And should we trust the government to do that? Needless to say, I'm not
1: in favor of... Not in favor of that, obviously. Um, And the fact that mandatory, no exemptions at all, that's exactly where they're going for all this. Um, And so, look, the um, Gen Z is probably going to be much more conservative than the millennial generation. And, but, you know, look, the... The issue right now when it comes to this kind of generational component is I'm actually much less worried about the political side of this. I, I think we are going to have such systemic issues with this generation because of what we've done to them. And no one's taking responsibility generally. You guys are, but, I mean, we have. Done, this is one of the most immoral things a generation has ever had to endure. And be, few people are speaking out against it, and almost everyone's okay with it, if not supportive of it. So um, I'm, I'm worried that this will be the most... This will be a generation with problems that no other generation has had to endure different, right? And it's different than going off to war in World War II. That was heroic. But now we are basically committing civilizational suicide is what we are doing. So um, I am optimistic in the sense that I think a lot of people are, are changing their focus and orienting towards things that are correct. And um, this will be, the, the, your generation will be won and lost on the decisions of people that are a couple generations, two generations ahead of you, whether they want to actually leave a country for us or not.
0: And listen, keep fighting. Yep. One man and God constitutes a majority. And if I, if, I knew, if, I, if I knew at your age what I know at 56, I'd be formidable. And I'm telling you right now, you are formidable. Light it up. Bless you, man. Last question.
1: Hi, Charlie. Hi, Pastor Rob. I told Pastor Rob last weekend I found this church because of your podcast, and I oh, told wow. you the same awesome. thing. Oh, wow! Awesome. Cool. So, she comes thank all you. the
0: way in from as a Holly?
1: Century City. Century City. Wow. Yeah. 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 So after five months of eating bacon in my pajamas, I got to put real clothes on today. <laughs> thank you. Um, we talked a little bit
3: about uh, engaging in meaningful conversation on social media, and I'm here to ask about doing so in the workplace. I work for one of the large liberal universities in Los Angeles. And I have had to bite my tongue on more than one management and leadership call where they openly bash the president, openly bash Republicans, and would probably be really freaked out to know that I'm at church with no mask on, hugging people that I don't know. (laughs) So, (laughs) what say you when I hear these things? So, look, this is a question I get a
1: lot, and um, people say, "Should I speak out?" And all this. Well, first of all. I think before you make that decision, you have, to be very okay. you have to be okay with the cost, which is you very well might lose the job just because you just asked this question. And we'll hire you here. Yeah. So. And, and so look, um, but yeah, this is something that they've done really effectively to us, which is they're holding millions of conservatives hostage right now, millions. I get emails like this, like you wouldn't believe, or they're like, I work here, I work here, I'm afraid to speak and all that. And that shows just how dominant they are. And so if every single one of us spoke out simultaneously, they wouldn't be able to control it. Um, but they have conservatives in a state of perpetual fear, and they're holding us hostage. One of the things that I thank God every day for is I can actually speak my mind. It's my job to speak my mind, right? Um, but not everyone has that kind of freedom. Some people are really... So the question, the question is this, is are you willing to lose your job for speaking truth? And uh, that's only you can answer that question, right? And the same should be said for every young person out there. They say, well, I don't want to get a bad grade. That, okay, if that, that's fine. By the way, if getting a good grade rates higher in your value system than speaking truth, then that is exactly the right answer. I'm not one to tell you that, right? I wouldn't make that decision, but that's, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying not to say specifically what you should or should not do. Um, but it's of my opinion that, and the civilization can't continue if we just continue to be quiet. Like, it's just that simple. Like, this thing is gonna fall apart very quickly if we just allow what is happening right now, uninterrupted for another two years, we're not gonna like where this leads. I mean, if, if it's that long regardless of who wins what election or what point. And that's why exactly what Rob is doing for people to speak out, gather, and awaken is so important. And so if every single person watching this right now and just in this room was louder than ever before and more confident, they wouldn't be, the, 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 the bad guys, if you were, or the left, they wouldn't, be, they wouldn't know what hit them. Um, they are counting on our silence, and they are counting on us being perpetually submissive to them, and I
0: say no more to that. Yeah. Amen. The only other thing I'd add, because I get the question a lot, is you rise and fall before one master, that's the Lord, and, and you're going to make those decisions. He's going to speak to you. You ask him for wisdom, James 1. When you decide what you're doing, are you deciding it out of a reverential fear of God who has given you what he wants you to do, or are you doing it because of a fear of man, which is a snare? Now, you can lay before the Lord the consequences and say, what would you have me do, Lord? And there are times where he'll say, remain silent. There's times where he's going to say, speak. When, when the, the governor's order came down that the church was non-essential, I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but that to me was a no-brainer. The church is essential. I mean, I just stand. We're going to, open, we're going to have Communion. We'll follow CDC standards. We didn't know the the nature of the virus at that point. He'll speak to you. Now, his opinion, my opinion, what's God telling you to do? And you know that because he'll confirm it by his word, and you'll know in your heart if you're doing it because of a fear of man. And if you have a fear, ask him for strength because God hasn't given you a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. And if God is for you, no one and nothing can be against you. No weapon fashion against you will stand. Amen. All right. Good. Thanks. All right. You got to do me a favor. We're going to say goodnight to the folks that are on the live stream even though you didn't get it live. We're going to call it live stream. It was a fireside chat. Charlie's got to catch a plane. Thank you all for tuning in. We broke 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel and we have all of you to thank can for it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Just keep showing up, keep supporting Rob, keep being an active congregation. And the one call to action, remember watching the live stream in here, if everyone wrote an email or a letter every single day to the Ventura County Board, that would change things. It's be like, what can I do? That's a very simple point of action. Yeah. There has to be a connection, guys, between the enthusiasm I feel in this room and real, real life action to make things out there better. Please, translate it to real, tangible you know, action. And that's a real simple way. I could tell you from someone who gets a lot of emails, when you get an influx, it, it is red. I mean, they could be sociopathic to an extent, but when they get 10,000 letters from citizens, that's a big deal, right? When you say by name that what you're doing to Rob McCoy is awful and this and that and open the church and open businesses. And that, I live in your district. That's right. So... Be that active citizenry, and I've been so blessed to be with
2: you guys today. Let's thank thank Charlie and
0: don't, yeah.